This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I'm, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today. Later on in today's episode, we are going to be speaking with Jillian Cantor, who is an internationally best-selling author and an outstanding cat mom. And she has a new book, not about cats. It is called Beautiful Little Fools. And it comes out today, actually, the day that this podcast comes out. And so you can run out to your local bookstore or head on to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or bookshop.org and order yourself a copy today. I highly recommend it. It's, Jillian's going to talk a little bit more about it when she's on the, the show later. But the book is a murder mystery based on characters from the novel The Great Gatsby. So it takes place in the in the Gatsby universe, I guess, is the best way of putting it. And it is a fascinating and fun read. Um, I tore through it in in a weekend, basically, and I definitely encourage all of you listening to check it out. Although there are no cats in the book. I, I do have to be forthright and say, not obviously that I only read books with cats in them, but since this is a cat-specific podcast, I do feel somewhat obligated to point out if I'm recommending a book that doesn't have cats in it. Um, this book does not have any cats in it, at least none that I recall. So certainly none that play a major role. Although speaking of books that I've read recently, and I know that I talked uh, a couple of podcasts ago about reading a book called Housekeeping by Marilyn Robinson. And this was a book that came out back in the early 80s. And I had just heard um, always, I for as long as I can remember, I've been hearing rapturous reviews of Marilyn Robinson and of this book, but I had never read it. And I read it and and I came on the podcast and I, I sort of raved about it and and talked about how wonderful it was. And I moved on from that book to Marilyn Robinson's next novel, which was published 25 years later. So she took a 25-year hiatus, basically, from fiction writing and returned, it was either 2004 or 2007, with a novel called Gilead, which is not a sequel or anything to Housekeeping. It's a totally different novel, although it is the first novel in a tetralogy, which is a series of four novels. And I know that many of you or, or a bunch of you ended up writing to me or leaving comments to the effect that based on my my rave recommendation of this book, that you had gone out and, and gotten copies of housekeeping or you reserved it at your local library, which is always a, a wonderful thing to do. And so let me just tell you, I, I having finished Gilead, which does have a cat in it, although the cat is not necessarily a character as such, but one of the characters, a, a young boy, has a cat named Soapy, a kitten named Soapy, which, by the way, is an adorable name for a kitten. Um, I, again, find myself at a loss for words. Uh, this is a book, I, I, I really encourage you to read it. I, I will only say that I literally do not even remember the last time where in reading a book, I, I found myself brought to tears, not because the book was sad, per se, 
but because it was just so beautiful that it moved me to tears. But this book, Gilead, was absolutely one of those books. It, it, it was just an extra reading. It was really an extraordinary experience. So much so that I find myself very angry at myself now for having for so many years deprived myself of Marilyn Robinson. So I, I absolutely recommend this book as well. Um, and, and this book, just to, I'm not going to give you like a whole recap of the book, but the book, it takes the form of a long letter that in an older man, a 76-year-old reverend in a small town in Iowa in the 50s, is dying of congestive heart failure. And he has a much younger wife and a very young son. There's nothing tawdry about it. It's actually, as explained in the course of the book, it's a a lovely story, how this man so late in life came to have this family. And now he knows that he is not going to be around to see his son grow up. So he is trying to put as much of his own life story and his thoughts and and feelings about certain things and and advice for his young son and and growing into manhood, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I, I... there are a handful of people who I've met in my life who I just describe as good souls. Uh, my grandmother was one of these people, and my late father-in-law, actually, was uh, Ben Lerman, was another one of these people. There are just, uh, maybe if you're lucky, a-, a small handful of people who you will meet over the course of your life who who just seem to radiate this kind of inner goodness and and kindness and just to be in their presence is, is to to feel that and and to believe in in the capacity for genuine goodness in the human soul. Uh, my father-in-law was was outgoing and funny and humorous, much like my husband is. My grandmother was was much more introverted and and you had to really she had a wonderful sense of humor, but it was not as let's say as much on display as in someone like my husband or my my late father-in-law. So it's not necessarily a personality thing, but in both of these people, you just knew you were in the presence of a genuinely good and kind and big-hearted person and and just felt warmed it, by being around them. And in reading this book, it, the, Marilyn Robinson has created a character in this reverend who is writing this long letter to his son, has created a character who I would say is like that he's just a good soul. And so you are reading basically the the diary, the inner monologue of of just a genuinely good and kind and loving person. And I th- I think that was so much of what moved me to tears. It it reminded me of some of the the better people who I've known in my own life. And I hate I hate myself right now for saying what I'm about to say. It's such a cliched and, and kind of thing to say, but it it was just sort of nourishing for my soul to read this book. And so again, I encourage those of you who are restless or or looking, it is not an action-packed read. It is not a mystery. It's not a thriller. It's not a a page-turner per se. Uh, It is obviously very interior. You're you're, you're listening to the thoughts and hopes and dreams and and the the past life and experiences of this very quiet and gentle man living in a very small town in Iowa in the 50s. So it's not edge of your seat material. But if you are looking for just kind of a a warm read to to close out the winter with, I realize we still have a little, uh, another month and a half of winter or so, 
but I definitely encourage you to pick it up. I, I found it to be incredibly rewarding. And then you can pick up a copy of Beautiful Little Fools by Jillian Cantor, which is a very different kind of book, I, I, but it is it is much more plotted and it is much more of a page turner, not necessarily edge of your seat, but but definitely a, a good and quick and fun read. And I encourage you guys to to check out both of these books. Um, I also, it has been brought to my attention that I have been very remiss in in reminding you guys, if you like the podcast, to leave me a review on Amazon, I'm sorry, not Amazon, on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to the podcast, if you could leave me some sort of a rating or review or even just click that five-star button, I would very much appreciate it as I'm sure would Clayton and Fanny, which is actually probably not true because I don't think Clayton and Fanny really care <laughs> about my podcast or the reviews for my podcast one way or the other. But this was this was a good way for, for me to segue into talking about the cats. Uh, we've been having a little bit of, of a kerfuffle. Clayton is mad at me for the last couple of days. So actually, let me just say the cats, of course, are very excited when it snows and it has been very cold and very snowy here for the last couple of days. And so the the cats and I have been spending a lot of time huddled up together. There really is nothing better than a snowy day, just a like a really snowy cold day outside and inside you are warm on your couch under a blanket with a book and and one or more cats purring away in your lap or behind your head or or wherever it is that your cats like to cuddle up with you. It is just one of the great, the, true, the, the truly great joys in life. And so it's been a good couple of days, but I was taking the opportunity. I actually just got a, a, I treated myself to a new bookcase for our living room, which is very exciting. And because I have a lot of books and they'd been accumulating on the floor and Lawrence was afraid that they were becoming something of a fire hazard or, or you know, some other sort of accident that the cats would knock a stack of books onto themselves, et cetera, et cetera. And it was not an unfair point to make. So it was probably long overdue. So I got another bookcase and I took it as an opportunity to just clean some other unnecessary items out of our living room, including we have one of those pet fusion cat beds. You know, it looks kind of like the infinity symbol and and the cats can lie on it. It's made of this great scratchy material. And the cats used to love it years ago. But then you know how it is. There, there's a shelf life to all of these things, or at least there's a shelf life to your cat's interest in certain things that you, in toys and cat scratchers and cat beds that you buy for their amusement. If you're even lucky enough for them to be interested in something you have bought for them in the first place, because as we know, the surest way to get a cat to decide they don't like something is for you to actually want them to use it. And that was sort of the case with the scratch. My cats have, have evolved, have gotten to the point where they, they will scratch anything in the living room before they scratch the pet fusion cat bed, which is fine because it actually, it got a lot of use in, in the first few years that we had it. Uh, the cats really liked it. They sort of scratched it uh, to death. And I hung on to it for a while because they seemed so into it. But then the other scratchers came into the house. They gravitated towards those. The Pet Fusion cat bed got less and less attention. And so I finally decided, and it's just all banged up. It's all beaten up. If, if you are, if you are one of my Facebook friends, then you may have seen the picture that I posted with Clayton on top of it. Uh, 
I guess I'm sort of ruining the end of the story in saying that because, of course, what happened, right, is so I moved it out of its spot in the living room next to the front door. And once it was in a new spot, as far as Clayton was concerned, it was an entirely new cat bed, cat scratcher. And so he was all over it for a couple of days. I, I could not he, I, I could not separate him from it. Not that I really tried. I had no problem with his hanging out on it, giving it one last go, as it were. But I also, I know Clayton. I know him well enough at this point to know that not only is he going to tired of eventually in this new spot, but if I move it back to its old spot, now that he's rediscovered it, he will once again completely ignore it. And so I, I did persist in throwing it away. And and Clayton has kind of been giving me the cold shoulder for the past couple of days. So I have purchased since then a new pet, pet fusion <laughs> cat scratcher bed. And I will put it in the spot where the old one was because my hunch is that the newness is what attra- the the putting it in the new location is what attracted Clayton to it. And so hopefully putting a new one in the old location will be equally engaging for him because we we can't have it right next to the front door for various reasons, but not the least of which being it it kind of interferes with our ability to get in and out of the house especially with packages, etc. So hopefully, hopefully, this will be an acceptable compromise. And Harmony will be once again restored to our house because Clayton has been giving me he's he's been a little moody with me the last couple of days, which is not like him. So I, I think he really feels that I've done him wrong by taking his cat bed away. And uh, hopefully I will be able to win his affections back. And and bribe him into into being my buddy once again, which I, I think I will. I think I'll be able to do it. I I don't want to take up too much more time at the the top of the show because I want to leave enough time for our conversation with Jillian Cantor. Uh, but before we head into a short break and then into our conversation with Jillian Cantor, I did want to take a moment and give a shout out to another group of my Patreon supporters. And again, it is because of those of you who support me on Patreon that I am able to produce this podcast and my books free of any corporate sponsorship or independently of any corporate sponsorship or traditional publishers. I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your your support of my work and your belief in what I do. And so with no further ado, a big shout out goes to Rebecca Lynn, Trisha Yost, Elaine Harcourt, Jamie Forster, Andrew Kaplan, Heather, last name withheld, Suzanne Dunaway, Catherine Larkland, Katie Williams, Julie Burns, Rihanna Nicole, Kathy Mancini, Matthew O'Leary, Carol Lofton, Marianne Harding, Lisa Calaris, Dawn Brown, ask me again and I'll knock you down. Just kidding. Sorry. Christine Sorens, um, Natty Chitwood. Mark Blanchard, my pet sitter, by the way, the the guy who takes care of my cats when I am out of town, and he is wonderful. He does an amazing job, and Clayton is just crazy about him. So, Mark, thank you so much for your support. It means a great deal to me. Irene Maul, April Gutierrez, Steph Suglian, Diana uh, Damasio, Sandy Butzelli, Angie Mason, Catherine Rigsby, Rosie Ray, Rachel, last name withheld, TJ Murphy, Julie Brandt, a few more names here, Melanie Paradise, 
Deborah Forsman, Lene Waite, Susan Haneke, Meg Hines, and Irma Hinkle. Thank you so, so much. And again, if you are a Patreon supporter at the $5 level or higher and you did not hear your name today, it was probably announced either last week or the week before. And we will continue with the monthly shout outs as we head into November. And on the, I'm sorry, into February, November. Oh my God. <laughs> not that I would mind being able to turn the calendar back a little. It's, uh, to be a writer is to sort of be perpetually wishing either that you could, you could chime travel back to like two or three months ago and, and crack down harder on your writing and, and get more writing done than you actually did or to wish that you could time travel to some point, let's say six, seven, eight, nine months in the future when you will have already written whatever it is you're working on. Basically, when, when you are a writer, the, the present is just full of all kinds of pitfalls of procrastination and regret in this endless cycle. Uh, but anyway, so yes, as we head into February, And on that note, we are going to take a short break while I get my brain functioning again. And when we come back, we will be speaking with author and cat mom Jillian Cantor. So sit back, relax, get comfortable and stick around for more Curl Up With A Cat Tale. sticking around. Today's guest is the USA Today and internationally best-selling author of 11 novels for teens and adults, which have been chosen for Library Reads, Indie Next, Amazon Best of the Month, and have been translated into 13 languages. Jillian's latest historical novel for adults, Beautiful Little Fools, a new story featuring characters from The Great Gatsby, will be published today, February 2nd. Born and raised in a suburb of Philadelphia, Cantor currently lives in Arizona with her husband, her two sons, and her two cats, Jake and Molly. Please join me in welcoming Jillian Cantor. Hello, Jillian. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being on the show. And let me just say before we do anything else uh, that we are doing a giveaway. We rarely do giveaways on this podcast, but we are doing a giveaway of a copy of your book, Beautiful Little Fools. And I'm going to have you describe what the book is about in a second. Um, But this actually, I'm going to say people really do want to have this book because in addition to being a phenomenal read that I tore through in about two set two sittings. Um, I, I really did just like two extra long sittings. It is actually a, just a, your, your publisher did such a great job creating a beautiful book. I love the, the deco ledge and, and that art deco, that really beautiful high concept art deco cover. Um, so you guys definitely do want to get your hands on this book. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to write to me with your, with the names of your own cats. We're going to talk about Jillian's cats in a little bit. So write to me with the names of your own cats, and we're going to do a random drawing from everybody who enters. Um, and Jillian, I do want to talk about your cats because you have one of the kinds of stories that I love talking about. You have actually, you adopted a cat who was returned to the shelter for being too friendly. 
Um, and, and which I always find a fascinating reason to return a cat because I always have to wonder about like what other kinds of happiness does the person who returned the cat not like, you know, like do they look at rainbows (laughs) and say, it's a little too colorful for my tastes. Or, you know, if, if, if the publisher's clearinghouse showed up in their front doorstep with a million dollar check, would they be, would they be like, ah, what a buzzkill, you know, I just, I wonder, is it happiness in general they don't like, or just certain kinds of happiness? I I don't know. They, they, you know, so I follow a lot of rescue groups on Facebook, obviously. (laughs) And, um, I really, we weren't really looking to adopt a cat, but I saw this cat and it said that he was returned because he was too friendly. And they said, he really needs to go to a house with other cats and with little kids. And I, I had two little boys at the time. So I was like sold, <laughs> but you know, he's the best cat we've had him. Of course he is. He was about 10 friendly. years. My youngest was four at the time. And, you know, definitely our other cats were a little skeptical of him because it was like he's he wasn't the gentlest. But Jake, the two friendly cat, just loved my four year old and Aww. still loves him. Now he's 14, but he still like is always with this kid. And he Aww. just loves it. That um, is. And, and I do want to hear I really do want to hear the story. It's just going to be so easy for us to get sidetracked by the cat. So I want to talk yes. a little bit about the book first, <laughs> okay. um, which, which is being published today. The, the day, well, if you are listening to this podcast on the day that it actually comes out, then you can get a copy of this book today on Amazon. And I guess actually, no matter when you're listening to it, you can get a copy of the book on Amazon yes. because yeah. it will be available forever. But t- so tell us about this book. It's called Beautiful Little Fools. And, and it's in the, it takes place in the Great Gatsby universe. Um, tell us about it. Yeah. So the um, Beautiful Little Fools is a reimagining sort of of the world of the Great Gatsby, but it's from the women's points of view. And it takes place before and during and after the original novel. But we get to see Daisy Buchanan and Jordan Baker and Myrtle Wilson and her sister Catherine. And we get to sort of see their side of the story. Um, But it's also reimagined as a murder mystery. And the original Gatsby Hopefully it's not a spoiler <laughs> to talk about the original Gatsby, but in the original Gatsby. I mean, the book, the book's a hundred years old. I, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think Jay it's fair Gats- game for spoilers. Right. Jay Gatsby dies in the original um, and it's, you know, it's thought to be a murder suicide in the original, but my novel sort of wonders what if his death was also different than we thought. So it's framed as a murder mystery. I have a detective character who suspects these three women might have been involved and you get to see their stories as they unfold um, against the backdrop of what we already know about the great Gatsby. So it's like part mystery, part love story, part historical reimagining of women's lives at the time. Which are all great things. You know, I have to tell you, so I'm kind of like so many people, I am completely unoriginal in this sense, Um, but I'm definitely something of a great Gatsby super fan. Mm -hmm. I actually went a few years ago uh, and, and this is true to an eight and a half hour staged reading of the great Gatsby. And it was a staged reading of the great Gatsby oh. from the first word to the last word. There, there were two half hour intermissions and then one like hour long intermission. So you could uh, get a meal. Um, mm-hmm. But the whole thing was eight and a half hours. Um, and, and so, you know, I came to this one thing that I will say, knowing the source material and, and being very intrigued by this book, just from the premise um, so you really look at you spend a lot of time with with three women characters, as you say, you have Daisy Buchanan and and Jordan. Um, I find it interesting because it would have seemed to me that the obvious third choice would have been Myrtle, 
who is Tom's, yeah. you know, Tom Buchanan's mistress. And, and the first, I, I guess the first blood spilled really in the book. Yeah. Um, she's killed in a car accident, but instead you focus on her sister, who's really a very, very minor character mm-hmm. in the original novel. And I'm, I'm curious as to why you decided to spend time with her sister instead of Myrtle herself. I think it works very well, by the way. Um, yeah, thank you. yeah. I'm just yeah. curious to know how you thought of that. I think, uh, so I think Catherine is in the original book twice. She's in two scenes. Um, once she's at a, a party that Myrtle has at her apartment that Tom set her up in. And then there's another scene where after Myrtle's killed, she identifies her body. So she's, like you said, extremely minor in The Great Gatsby. And so that made her very attractive to me as a character. I felt I had a lot of leeway to make her my own, even though I was sort of still staying true to the original because, you know, she was in it. Um, I felt I had a lot of space to sort of make her my own character. And then, you know, the other reason I didn't want to make Myrtle the third point of view character is that Myrtle does die in the original Great Gatsby. And I wanted the book to extend uh, past the original. And so that just like prevent, you know, presented a little bit of a plot complication. And Myrtle actually does have two short chapters in my book. Um, I just, I felt like Catherine, you know, I would be able to do more with her as a character, a point of view character. And and so I, I sort of immediately made that choice. Yeah, no, she's sort of like like terra incognita in the sense that as a reader, no matter what your opinions, and obviously people are going to come to this book with a lot of very fixed opinions of their own about these characters, but Mm -hmm. she's definitely a character who it's harder to have a very fixed opinion about because she does play such a minor role in the original book. It's a few sentences in the original book, Um, but also, I, you know, in my book becomes about sisters and sisterhood. Um, I I gave Daisy a sister in Beautiful Little Fools. I don't know if she has a sister. It's never mentioned in The Great Gatsby. It's never clarified one way or the other. Yeah, I gave her a sister. And so I, I feel like it also, the book explores sisters and like the sisterhood relationship. And so by having Catherine be the the sort of voice for Catherine and Myrtle, I felt like I could explore that more too. I, I, in addition to to the obvious conceit of, of the whole thing being a murder mystery, uh, the other thing that I thought was a really interesting addition, again, for, for me sort of as a, as a Gatsby super fan, was this relationship with Daisy and her sister, uh, which, which you write as, as this very formative relationship for Daisy. Yeah. It has a lot to do with her worldview and her relationship with Tom and her relationship with her, uh, you know, really just everything uh, so much of who you've written this character to be stems from this relationship with her sister, who, again, does not exist at all in the original mm-hmm. novel. And I thought that was very interesting as well. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I should also say that I'm a Gatsby super fan. <laughs> obviously, why, obviously. Why I came to this. And I never sat through an eight and a half hour reading, but you know, I would have if I had the opportunity. A staged reading. It was actually really interesting. Um, it was by a theater company. And so the way that they did it, they played it as like they're all a bunch of clerical office workers and and just this horrible, really brutalist kind of of office, sort of like the office at the beginning of Joe versus the volcano, if you've ever seen that. (laughs) And and so one of the workers happens upon this old dusty copy of The Great Gatsby and starts reading it out loud. And as he's reading it, his office workers start enacting the story, but not in costume or anything, just as themselves. And so it was really, it was an, it was very interesting, uh, but, but there's no getting around the fact it was eight and a half hours. 
Yeah, no, I would have gone to that. You know, I'm definitely a Gatsby super fan. And and so I think one of like the joys and challenges in writing this book was staying true to the original while also making it my own story. Um, And people have been asking me if they can read Beautiful Little Fools without having read The Great Gatsby. And I I absolutely definitely can. You know, it's it's its own story. It stands on its own. If you know Gatsby or have read Gatsby, I think you'll you'll definitely get some of the lines of dialogue or plot points and you'll recognize them. But I wanted to make it my own story. And so, you know, things like Daisy's sister developing Catherine, that was sort of a way for me to make it my book while still staying true to the universe of Gatsby. Oh, you could absolutely read, pick up this book, having yeah. not read, I mean, I would say even having not even heard of The Great Gatsby, you could absolutely yeah. just pick up this book and just read it as historical historical fiction slash crime fiction, I think, um, yeah. for sure. Uh, but you, you know, you also, and and I find this interesting, you are definitely a person who likes to wander into these very established universes and tell your own story. You and I actually first met uh, a few years ago at a book festival in Las Vegas, and you had just published a book called Margot, which yeah. was a novelization. It was sort of a counterfactual, and it was based on the idea, what if Anne Frank's sister, Margot, had survived the Holocaust and moved to the United States to start a new life in, in the forties and fifties in America, yeah. uh, which I thought, and, and again, I read that book and, and part of the reason I was so excited for this book was because I really loved Margot, but I thought I, that to me, and obviously as, as a Jewish, you know, Jewish little girl, I, mm-hmm. I was raised on Anne Frank yeah. and, and that struck me also as a very daring choice. And and I'm curious to know what it is about the idea of, of taking these characters who so many of your readers are going to have these very fixed and emotional attachments to and rewriting their stories. Is this, is it just in these two books? Is this something that appeals to you generally? And, and if so, why? No, I think it appeals to me generally. <laughs> and I'm always sort of interested in, in the what if, you know, like what if this happened this way instead of that way. Um, and actually my last novel that I published is called Half-Life and it's about Marie Curie, but it's sort of Marie Curie meets sliding doors and it's two versions of her life, her real version. And then this other version of her, if she had made one different choice when she was 20 and the two stories unfold side by side. So I think I'm always sort of exploring like the this difficult premise of what if something what if? happened differently than we think it did. And that's just sort of what calls to me as a writer. And I I just like I love writing the stories and I I definitely I find a joy in doing it for myself. And then, you know, I realize people are gonna read them and then I start to get nervous about the reaction. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like you said, because they are, you know, people definitely do have opinions about the great Gatsby and, you know, know these characters a certain way. Um, but I think that's just what calls to me as a writer and I can't stop myself from doing it even when I want to. I mean, what if you had never adopted cats? What Imagine I, the I, bleak and joyless hellscape that your life <laughs> would now be. I know it's true though. <laughs> um, before we get into the cats, <laughs> I just wanted to uh, one. Um, oh my God, I forgot it. I had one other question that, that I really wanted to ask you and now I can't remember what it is, oh, no. but I will, but I will before we, uh, okay. before, <laughs> before we, we stop, uh, before we stop talking about your, your books and your writing. Um, 
Oh, actually, here's the question I wanted to ask you, just along the lines of of always considering these what ifs and, and all kidding aside about what if you had never adopted cats. But is that a question that you find yourself? Do you find this question intriguing in your fiction because you're always asking it in your own life or or because you tend not to ask it in your own life? I mean, I think I just have an overactive imagination as as all writers do. Sure, sure. <laughs> and so, you know, how can it's not like I'm like constantly asking in my own life, but I, I do think sometimes, well, what if I had done this instead of I had done, you know, I had done this sure. and how things have turned out differently. And uh, I think my mind is just always working on those possibilities. Fair enough. And what are you working on next? Cause you, you, and I envy you this, I, you, you, you publish at this very prolific clip. Um, I, I do not publish as prolifically <laughs> as you. So I assume you are you have something else in the works or maybe even finished and 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 ready in the queue. And I'm wondering what that is. I do, and I can't really say that much about it. Oh. Um, but it's it's um a sort of another feminist look at a classic. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens with it. Very intriguing. Okay. Um, so so you guys heard it here first, which is not much, admittedly, uh, yeah, but definitely sorry. keep your eyes peeled. No, that's good. Um, I'm going to say if you are not familiar with Jillian's work, um, Beautiful Little Fools is is definitely a great point of entry, and I encourage you to pick it up. I, I it, it was a, a very enjoyable weekend for me when I was reading it, oh, and, and sure, I think, I think you guys will enjoy it too. Um, so now let us, uh, we, of course, we, we do make everybody who comes in this podcast sing for their supper, as it were, in the form of, of talking about their cats, uh, which I'm assuming is not going to be too much of a problem for you. Nope. Um, but I, I know that you, so you have two cats, Jake and Molly. We've already established that, that Jake, you adopted him because somebody returned him to the shelter for being too friendly, mm-hmm. which as 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 the the guardian of an excessively friendly cat, I, I, you know, I, I can't even say excessively. I have to put it in scare quotes. But he is an incredibly, um, just you know, needy, clingy cat. But we kind of like him that way <laughs> in this house. We yeah. we we like we like our pets present, you know. Um, but you you also have another cat, Molly. And how did Molly come to to live with your family? Yeah, so Molly has an interesting story too. Um, we actually we went to adopt a cat, and we actually took home her brother. She was in. Um, we went to a rescue, and she she was with him, and we took took the brother home and we couldn't stop talking about her. We had left her there all alone. And so the next morning I called the rescue and I was like, we want to take the other cat too. So we went back and got her too. <laughs> and, and, and was this, um, did you initially leave her there? Cause you had this sense that, I mean, we can't adopt two at once or, or what was yeah, the reason I mean, you did actually, not take her? So we had had a rescue cat and he, he was, you know, he passed away and I had little kids at the time. My oldest, I think was like three. I want to say, yeah, he was three. And so he, he, of course, was like devastated that our, our cat had passed away. And so we're like, OK, we're going to go adopt a kitten. And I, I was like, you can pick the kitten out. And so, we got, you know, he was very excited. So he chose this kitten. And then, of course, we came home and we could not stop talking about the sister. And so then we adopted two cats. And I had already had two other cats at the house at the time. So then we ended up with four ah. at that time. So then it makes a little more sense that you would have been leery because three really does seem like crossing yeah. a threshold. Once you get past the 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 barrier of three, you know, I think from then it, you have to go from like four to seven or eight before you cross kind of the I, next barrier. I know there's a barrier. point where you're like, 
can I still do this and be, you know, right. Is it going to be, is it going to be overwhelming or will the cats overwhelm the family? We had, had, so yeah, we had three cats at the time and then the, the one passed away. And so I'm like, okay, well we can get a kitten, but then we ended up getting two kittens. And so, you know, it it all worked out. And, and and here you are. And were they a bonded pair? Were they, were they buddies? Were they really into each other as kittens, this brother and sister? Well, I mean, they were pretty young. They were like three months old. So they were in a, like a cage together at PetSmart. Um, and, and they were, they would spend a lot of time together. And then, you know, as they, they came into my house, they both really bonded with one of my cats that was already here. Oh, interesting. And the three of them were always together. Um, yeah. So, you know, and sat, and so sadly Molly's brother, Oliver passed away last year, but she's no. still, she's still doing great. And, um, she took over my, my oldest son's room in the pandemic. And it's like her, her little cat cave now. <laughs> she Your oldest son's still in the house or, or is it just Molly's room now? And no, it's her room. Well, she likes my son too. She's fine with him, but like, <laughs> but the rest of us go in there, she starts screaming at us. So really, well, you know, it's age, age makes you feel like you have certain prerogatives. Right. And, uh, and, and one of them is, is the right to just be left alone in your own space. Yeah. She, she's like, she, she likes the bed. She has like a big double bed in there. She just stretches out and I bring her food there for her now. And she's perfectly happy. <laughs> so truly emphasizing the point that, that dogs have owners and cats really do have staff. You, you are now Molly's staff. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're all Molly staff. And if I don't feed her, like if it's like, usually she eats around noon, but if it's like 12, 15, she'll like start screaming from that oh, room. To girl. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I know. I'm telling you, my, my cats yell at me all day for yeah. all kinds of things. Uh, certainly not feeding them when, yeah. when they decide, you know, it's between daylight savings time and you live in Arizona, which I think is the one state that opts out of daylight. Savings yeah. We don't time. do daylight savings. Time. Uh, so you have no idea what that transition is like. <laughs> It's, it's, it really is the most awful month of my life is that month immediately following the, the, the changing of the clocks, but they also, you know, Fanny, I I have a boy and a girl and Fanny is, is the bossier one. And she, uh, lately I've been giving her dry food, not, not Clayton, our boy, because it's not good for him, but I let her have some. So it's kind of thrown off her internal meal schedule. But she's as demanding about being fed when she wants to as if it were the designated time when of she's course she is. getting so <laughs> that was a long point to make that that my cats are bossy, basically. Yeah, no, and I mean Jake, the overly friendly cat, you know, like runs the household. I have two dogs also, um, but Jake is definitely in charge. Jake's in charge of the dogs, he's in charge of Molly, he's I think he's like thir- he's 13 now, but I was actually doing a, a Zoom last week and he was like trying to climb up the blinds behind me in my office and my son had to like run in and extract him. So <laughs> he has not slowed down. Were, were you Zooming slow. with, with anyone important? Was it Good Morning America or something like that? Or was it, were they were they a little more tolerant of uh, the yeah, shenanigans? No, in the no, they, were, they were fine, but my poor son was like running in and ducking and just trying to <laughs> grab Jake off the blinds and... <laughs> See, I find that interesting because one thing I will say is, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize this, is that very friendly cats are usually very confident cats, mm, yeah, which you don't necessarily have to care about, except the confident cats do actually make for a more harmonious household, I, I have found over the years, because they tend to get along better with other cats. They don't have a lot of the the insecurities or issues that mm-hmm. that make them 
lash out or have behavioral issues. I think with a confident cat, you tend to see a lot less physical aggression, uh, urinating in inappropriate places, other behavioral issues that I don't think are reasons to rehome a cat by any stretch of the imagination. But when somebody returns a cat to the shelter for being too friendly, I feel like you you have sort of just returned your passport to a problem-free life in a lot of yeah. ways. No, he's, I mean, he's great. He's, he's always with us, which we love because we have yeah. because we like we like them being with us right um, so he yeah he's great he's always sitting on someone's lap and purring and he um he actually gets along really well with one of my dogs he'll he'll like chase the dog I know it's supposed to be the other way around but <laughs> that does not surprise me at all I mean I'm sure everyone have you seen you've seen that video I'm sure of the of YouTube of, of the cat chasing the the bear yeah um, yes. yeah that would be Jake <laughs> But Again, he's, it's it's all about the confidence, right? It's all about the the he, assertive he has a personality. Lot of confidence. He's um he's he's pretty great. So yeah, he um he yeah, we're we're lucky to have him for sure. Um, and so he he is now thirteen, and his sister is also an older cat. So do you think? And I'm assuming your sons at this point are probably either out of the house or coming close to an age where they would be out of yeah, the house they're, they're teenagers now so yeah they're here but they're 14 and almost 17 so that must have been actually an, an interesting lockdown house with two teenage boys two cats and two dogs and yeah. uh, not a lot of <laughs> <laughs> and and well, you we writing were, we and yet you managed to write a book through it I I know I did <laughs> but we kept joking that the cats were like why are you not leaving and the dogs were like never leave again <laughs> <laughs> the difference between the cats and the dogs. <laughs> Fair enough. Although, you know, I've been working from home forever and, and I don't think my, I certainly for the entire lifetime of, of these yeah. two cats who I have. And, and I, I honestly think if, if life were to align in such a way that I were to go back to an office job or, or something of that nature, I think they would lose their minds, particularly Clayton who really, really does, you know, I go to the grocery store and come back and they're all over me. Like, where'd you go? Why were you gone yeah. so long? And, um, I, I think if I were gone for eight hours a day on a regular basis, they might actually have nervous breakdowns. Yeah, no, my ours probably would at this. I mean, I work at home. So, so someone is almost always home with them. And if like, God forbid we ever travel, <laughs> uh. Jake talks about it for a week. Still, it's it's one thing to have one person at home and another thing to have three people yeah, it's the, at home. It's my, the cats love love my kids. And so I, I think actually Molly, especially, it was a big transition for her when my oldest went back to real school this year after doing virtual school with her all last year. So I, I guess the big question that I have, my me being the kind of writer I am and this being the kind of podcast that it is, would you ever see yourself writing a novel about cats or with cats as central players or, or, you know, in, in, in some way the plot turning on cats or basing characters on your cats, or do they just play no part in your writing life at all? Um, you know, I think a few of my characters have had cats like the, um, Margie, who is Margot in Margot has yes. an orange tabby, um, who got into the book around the same time, Jake, my orange tabby came to live with us. So I definitely have put them in my fiction, sprinkled here and there. Um, but I don't know if I would ever write a whole book about them. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I never say never to anything. If there's a good what if premise, I probably would, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
there you go. You could find a, a famous person whose life, you know, turned on, on the presence of a cat in some yeah. way. And yeah, then totally. what, what if that cat had not been there or right. something like that? I could. <laughs> it, it, it would take a little bit of, it would take a little bit of research probably, but, but or do your cats hang out with you while you're writing? Mm. Uh, sometimes Jake, Jake does. Jake comes in and out. Um, I, I have one dog who never leaves my side. And so that dog is always there when I'm writing and, and Jake sort of comes and goes when he feels like it. <laughs> As cats have a tendency to do. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Julian, for, for spending time with us and for taking time out of a very busy promotional schedule and, and for chatting with us about your cats. And the book again is beautiful little fools it is out as of the time of the publication of this podcast, and it, it's a really fun historical fiction, you know, slash murder mystery based on characters from The Great Gatsby. And uh, Jillian, anything else you want to add about the book before we take off? No, but thank you so much for having me. And I could just like talk about my cats all day. So I was so excited when you asked me to be on your podcast. So thank you. <laughs> well, that is, of course, the reaction that we're looking for. You have an audience here, people who could also talk about their cats all day. Is, this is the thing that unites us. So uh, so thank you for, for coming and, and contributing stories about your own cats. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. Don't forget to join me next week for another all new episode. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.